Empire. Fractional ownership opens the door for the masses to be part of high-end collecting. It makes more sense to me. I would rather own a piece of something great than own the whole of something mediocre or of lower quality. Especially if that's what I'm collecting, if that's what I'm attracted to as a collector. That's Joe Orlando, president of Sports for Collectible, a platform that is democratizing the high-end collectible marketplace. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Joe Orlando comes to Collectible after years of heading PSA, the authentication and grading service trusted by collectors and dealers in the traditional hobby space. Things are changing, though, not only with how accessible high-end items are, but the type of new collectibles that are flooding the marketplace in the form of NFTs. Our guest this week is Joe Orlando, who is the new president sports of Collectible, which is a investment platform in the sports collectible marketplace that specializes in fractional ownership. Previous to his position with Collectible, Joe Orlando was the president and the CEO of Collectors Universe, which was the parent company of PSA, which is the leader in the industry in authentication and grading. Hi, Joe. How are you? Great. Pleasure to be on, Bram. Um, before I get into your past, let me just talk about Collectible with you for a moment. What was intriguing about what they are building that made you want to join that group? Yeah, so uh, the way I've described it is I had a similar experience, actually, as a former customer of PSA, the company I went to work for uh, eventually, and I stayed there for nearly 22 years. So when I go back to my previous experience uh, in the early 1990s, when the idea of third-party authentication and grading was a very foreign and somewhat controversial concept. It, it really just resonated with me, and I started to think of how it could affect, you know, the business, you know, decades, you know, out. And I had a, a very similar experience um, with Collectible and with the fractional concept. Um, as I watched the market develop and see where prices have gone to, um, and I see all this new money coming in, new people that want to participate. Um, I just believe that the fractional platform and the concept is going to be increasingly relevant as time goes on. And, you know, it's, I mean, I, I don't need to tell you, I'm sure you, you've, you've seen it yourself, but yeah. where pricing is going, let's just take that for a moment. Um, I mean, I have conversations with many of my collector friends and, and, and some of these gentlemen are very successful people and they feel like they're getting priced out already in the market. And, and you start to think longer term, okay, well, how does fractional play into that? How could it be helpful as an option for collectors? Well, you know, if, if it's going to require an entirely different level of spending power to acquire the whole object, then owning a piece of something becomes really interesting. And so, um, again, uh, when you see people who do have uh, strong spending power feeling like they're getting priced out already, I start thinking, well, but they may have one of three options in the future. They could stop collecting altogether, which they're probably not going to do because this is something they love. This is an, you know, the hobby that they have chosen. 
they could change their quality standards and all of a sudden start collecting things, I guess, in their mind, which would be inferior to what they're used to owning, which is very difficult to do, I could say, as a collector myself, or they can become open-minded about owning a piece of something. So I, I just see where the market is headed and, and I, and I, and I see just where collectible is and the brand that they've established so quickly. Um, just, it was the right opportunity for me. And let me it'd be appropriate for me. I probably should have done this at the top to disclose. I do host a show for collectible called the panel where I talk to some industry experts weekly and discuss all these items and more big picture items that are going on. But to disclose to our audience, I do have a working relationship with collectible. All right. Let me talk about the idea of getting people to be open minded to fractional ownership. Um, I am a collector myself. I'm obviously I've been in sports media for a long time. I'm a fan at heart and I own a lot of items specifically of teams that I love um, in the Washington DC metro area. Um, but I like having them and I like holding them and I like seeing them. So can you talk to me about the idea of educating and, and as you put it, kind of wrapping your mind around the idea of not physically owning it, but having a portion of it? Yeah. I mean, l- let me share this with you. I'm a traditional collector. I always have been. And I, and I think that that's what, that was one of the things I wanted to bring to the table at collectible is to say, look, I'm of the, you know, if you want to call it the whatever traditional traditional or old school mentality you're right like do i want to pick up and hold the bat i have on my wall yes i do but i'm start i'm starting to think about the the hobby and the market five years from now ten years from now and how it's going to evolve and to me it's not an all or nothing proposition i think that collectors you you could have i could envision having a collection where a percentage of it is devoted to kind of the traditional mindset of having the items physically in hand. You want to touch them. You want to feel them. I get it. I've been a collector my whole life. But then I started to think again about where the market was headed. And if you want to own something significant, you want to own uh, something of an extreme, you know, high quality, something that's scarce, then I think it's just a matter of coming to grips with there's there's no shame. You could still have pride in owning a slice of something. And quite frankly, I think it's more appealing even right now, even though I'm one of those guys, I'm like you, I'm, I'm from the traditional collecting background. I think it makes more sense to me. I would rather own a piece of something great than own the whole of something mediocre or of lower quality, especially if that's what I'm used to collecting, if that's what I'm attracted to as a collector. So I think from a from a buying standpoint, certainly with veteran collectors, it's going to take, you know, some some change, you know, the mindset needs to change. But if I go back 30 years ago, the idea, again, in my previous experience, people thought third party authentication and grading was borderline insane <laughs> in the early 1990s. And now it's like the foundation of the entire market. So things change. Plus, if you if you talk to younger people if you look at the data it, you know from the i guess the the younger generation of collectors they seem to be a lot more open-minded to fractional ownership than someone like myself i turned 50 in october so i'm a, I'm a veteran of the hobby so you there's also a cultural shift in a sense um, when you look at from a generational perspective so again when you're, when you're from a from a i guess from a business perspective if you're looking at the future, where is this headed? Where is it going? 
it appears to make, again, at least in my mind, a lot of sense. It, it seems to be very intuitive based on what's happening in the market. So for the fans that you talk to or the collectors that you speak with, when you talk about this mindset about this, are they leaning in on the investment side of it or are they leaning in on, I still hold a piece of sports history that matters to me? That's a great question. I mean, look, it's for years, you know, I've, I've always said, look, you, you should enjoy it. I think you should enjoy it first and think about the financial component as a secondary thing. But the reality is this, you know, we, we, this industry has sort of danced around this subject for years. But the reality is that high-end collectibles of all types, not just sports, have generally outperformed most traditional type of assets. And so when we think about collecting, you, you have to consider the financial component. And now, of course, you know, as we were talking about earlier, when you look at the price level that the really great material ha- have gone to in terms of, of, you know, again, prices, of course, we have to factor that in. So to get back to your initial, your, your question just a minute ago, I think it's a blend. I think that that there's still, again, I think there's still pride of ownership with the idea that I own a piece of something outstanding. But also they're thinking, you know what, this is a great way for me, in a sense, to diversify what I'm doing. And, and I can, and I, again, it's not an all or nothing proposition. You don't have to be all fractional or all traditional. It can be a blend. But certainly it seems like with so many new people coming in, it's such a great entry point. It's a way to put your toe in the water where if you're, if you don't know, let's talk about education because you used that term earlier. That's, that's a big part of what I think I'm going to do at least out of the gate with collectible is try to provide that type of education to try to share my experience in a lot of different collectible fields with someone new coming in. You know, how do I start a game use back collection? What do I look for? Trading cards, autographs, tickets, original photos, whatever it is. So I think fractional, it's an option to allow someone, especially a brand new person who wants to participate, to just put their toe in. They don't have to dive in, you know, head first right out of the gate. And uh, that's one of, I think, the the more appealing aspects of the fractional platform from a buyer's perspective. You've mentioned this a number of times, and I've noticed it, and obviously in working with Collectible, we talk about this a lot, but the prices have risen. There have been a lot of news cycles about items that are breaking records, it seems, week after week after week. It seems to have coincided with the beginning of the pandemic. Um, What happened here overall in the sports collectible marketplace in your estimation? That's a great question. So I I've, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The, the sports collectibles market was doing very well prior to the pandemic. You could see the steady momentum happening about two to three years before the pandemic hit. But when the pandemic hit, what it did, in my view, is you obviously had a lot more time on your hands, at least most people did, um, being stuck at home, a chance to revisit whether it was an old hobby, seek new ones. So that was a big part of it. But really, I, I think the, the thing that kind of pushed things over the top was the fact that the mainstream media was covering the hobby all of a sudden in a way that I had never seen before. I mean, in the past, if there was an extraordinary find, something like that, it would capture the attention of mainstream media. Some of the more recent ones were the Lucky Seven find, the Black Swamp find. There were some great 
find the collectibles that you might find on the on the mainstream news. But then all of a sudden, the the me the mainstream media, not the hobby media, was picking up on stories related to collecting, and it opened people's eyes up and it introduced a lot of new people. I mean, there there are people from my generation, you know, that grew up in the kind of the eighties and the nineties collecting that became disconnected and they're yeah. reaching out to me at, in the, during the pandemic saying, wait a minute, I, I, I thought that, you know, baseball cards were over. I, I thought that, you know, collecting sports memorabilia was, you know, a dying thing. It's like, no, it, it wasn't before the pandemic. It was doing very well. But then the pandemic just, it just brought so much more attention back to something that quite frankly is a lot of fun. I mean, it's, there's the certainly the monetary component and we can't ignore that but it's fun if you love sports and you love history it is such a fun endeavor and something that i've experienced since i was about four or five years old um it's funny you say that because i'm the same way i grew up as a kid playing stratomatic and collecting baseball cards and football cards which had seemingly no value at the time And it's funny, it was the news cycles that really regenerated everything for me because I started to see things about Michael Jordan cards that were worth certain amounts. And I'm sitting there going, I may have one of those and ran upstairs and I'm looking through shoeboxes and going, oh, my God, like I have something that I didn't recognize. I think I knew at the time was valuable, but didn't realize it was so valuable now. Um, I, there's something about that is kind of, I don't know what it is here that's captured everybody's attention again. Yeah. I mean, what you just described is like, that's a, that's a great example of what probably happened for millions and millions of people during the pandemic is wait a minute. I still have some of these boxes in the garage or in the attic. Let me see what I've got. And it just, I think, you know, yeah, was there some, uh, sort of element there where people might be looking for a lottery ticket sure you know right they, they hear that the industry's come back they see these prices and they're looking to see if they have something of value but something very interesting happened during that process whether you found something of value or not you dug back into something that you once loved if, if you were a collector in a, in a previous life yes. so to speak yes and then again there were lots of new people that were introduced to it for the first for the first time, and they said, "Wait a minute, this is this is a lot of fun. I'm I'm really enjoying this." And now that we're here, it, it's scary that the last two years have gone by so quickly. It seems like, but we're here almost two years later. You know, when the pandemic really first hit us hard, and it's go. It, I mean, there's been no let up. So it it wasn't just a blip. It wasn't just an aberration. I think people are enjoying it, and they're back in, and they're involved, and that's what makes me so excited about the future of the hobby in general, and of course, what Collectible is doing. Guys, if you're looking for that extra confidence when it's time to have a little bit of fun, let me tell you about BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service. It delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable form and it's at a fraction of the cost. BlueChew's tablets will help you combat all forms of ED, Plus, it's an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is really simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days, and the best part, all done online. 
Fluchu's licensed medical providers are going to work with you to find the right ingredient and the strength for your personal subscription. Plus, their tablets are made in the United States. They prepare, they ship direct, and it's so much cheaper than going through a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code FUTURE, F-U-T-R, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code FUTURE, F-U-T-R, to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for being a sponsor of this show. We've spent our time so far talking about traditional collectibles and premier items. Uh, If you go to the site, you'll see things like a Wilt Chamberlain jersey. You'll see a number of premier items that can be bid upon and and owned fractionally by by members. I want to get your take on digital collectibles and where you think that is right now and what you think the value will be for those in the future. Oh, boy, yeah. We could spend a a week on this subject alone. So I'll give you my... (laughs) my raw unfiltered uh, opinion here so digital you know this is where beauty is in the eye of the beholder right i mean with collecting what i might find interesting you might not find interesting and vice versa and with digital because it's to me it's a very generational thing for someone like myself the idea of a pure digital collectible it doesn't appeal to me but the way i look at that is that it doesn't matter if it doesn't appeal to me if it appeals to other people and that's all that matters. So I'll get that out of the way to start. I, I think there's something. So you have the pure digital collectible where it's literally, it only exists in a digital state. And then you have collectibles. There, there seems to be an interesting opportunity where you could connect digital sort of NFT type collectibles to a tangible, to a specific tangible that exists. And the digital is a representation of that exact tangible. That that seems to me like it could have more sort of interesting legs to it in the in the future. But it really is. Um, I think it's so early in the game with with digital. But again, I'm I'm 50 years old, and there's a 22 year old out there that their world has been much more digital, much more virtual than my world was growing up at the same time. So. It's, you know, again, we, we, we as collectors, I think we always um, sort of compare, you know, in, in terms of like what, what you collect, what I collect, and what, what other people collect. And sometimes you may say, gee, I'm a, I'm a game-used back collector. I don't understand why you're really interested in trading cards and the trading card collectors. I don't understand why this person's into autographs. Digital's just like the next thing, right? Yeah. It's the next type of collectible to enter our space. And so I think, you know, It'll be interesting to see where it all goes, you know, three, five, ten years from now. But there's a whole generation out there that that has lived in a much more digital world than I did as a 16-year-old or a 20-year-old. And so I think, again, we'll have to wait and see. But for me personally, I'm a, you know, in terms of collecting, I like the idea that the item is real in the sense that it's tangible. You can touch it, you feel it. Whether I, I actually can touch it or feel it or not, I think that's the, the interesting thing. A lot of collectors like myself, what I would describe as traditional collectors like, like you, they're getting more and more comfortable with the idea of vaulting their items. I mean, I can remember 25, 30 years ago when I was collecting cards prior to joining TSA, I mean, I stored most of my valuable cards in my safe deposit box, and it, it wasn't yeah. at home. I wasn't touching it and feeling it. I made at that time. This is like me. 
the days where, you know, people would make color printouts on a machine. I would put it in a binder, and that's how I would enjoy it. It was before the digital transformation in the world. But um, so the, it's interesting. So there are traditional collectors that I think are very comfortable with not touching it and feeling it as long as they know it actually exists. And so I think that plays into this cult- cultural shift as well. But the pure digital collectible, for me, it doesn't appeal, but it, apparently it appeals to a, a very large number of people from a younger generation. All right, let me ask you another broad question, um, which is, you know, when we were talking about the time when we grew up and became, you know, collectors as, as young as young men, um, I'm not sure that the leagues, and maybe they did, or the athletes recognize the value of these items in the moment. I think that's clearly changed. What do you think the relationship is with leagues and athletes um, in terms of making these types of items available? It's a great observation. So when I go back in time, I remember, again, I was I grew up during the big boom of the 1980s. That was like the first decade of explosive growth in this hobby. And towards the end of the decade, you started to see glimpses of athletes that started to provide memorabilia direct to the public. It was very... Very few and far between. You know, I mean, as far as, you know, very, very few athletes were doing it. And then a couple of more athletes jumped on board in the 1990s. And then by the end of the decade, more and more. And now you have athletes, like you said, you know, and, and there, there have been there's various companies where you could acquire, whether it's autograph memorabilia, game-worn memorabilia, jerseys, bats, gloves, whatever it is, direct from the athletes. And, and you nailed it for the longest time. The athletes, I don't think they realized like how valuable this stuff was trading, you know, like on the, on the market. And now they're like, wait a minute, you know, I can, I can actually, I think there's, there's, it's a great thing, by the way. I think it's a very positive thing because if you're getting it direct from the source, direct from the player, direct from the teams, or at least someone that has a relationship with the team, for example, Steiner Sports. Um, for years during the, the Yankees' great run with Derek Jeter and, and the core four, they had a direct relationship with the Yankees, and, and collectors were able to acquire great memorabilia from Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter and, and, and their teammates. Um, and, and, and you knew it was, it was good. It was coming direct from the source. Some of it was autographed, some of it wasn't. But I think, yeah, moving forward, you're going to see more and more of that. But it gradually develops. You started to see little, little bits of it in the in the 1980s, and it just gradually increased. But now, I mean, there's there's no secret anymore. I think you know the secret is out. People know that this stuff is valuable. Um, I mean, Tom Brady jerseys are selling for you know close to half a million dollars. I mean, it's so people know what their stuff is worth. The teams know. The leagues know. So you're going to see more and more of that, um, I think, as we go forward, which I think is a great thing for the consumer because it just adds a layer or level of authenticity. When you're spending this kind of money, you want to make sure it has you know, rock-solid provenance. All right, Joe, last thing. Um, what are your goals for growing collectible? It's a good question. So I get, I get started this week, actually. It's good timing. So to begin with, I, I think what my role is going to focus on is the educational component um, because of all this new participation, and I'm very excited about it. It's something I have a great passion for. I want to share, you know, all the years of experience that I've had both personally and professionally. I had 22 years at Collector's Universe and TSA, 
working alongside the best experts in the business and, and trying to act as much like a sponge as I, as I could during that time. And I've had some great mentors in my life. And now I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm in that phase where I want to be a mentor to others. And so to begin with that, it's going to be a lot about education and, and helping people understand what they buy before they bid, before they buy you know, they, they buy a, a share on the fractional platform before they jump in with both feet. Because, again, we're talking about, in some cases, very, very big dollars here. And you want to make sure that you're an informed, you know, consumer before you start buying this, this stuff. So out of the gate, it's going to be educational. And then, you know, we've talked. I can't, I can't reveal it, of course, now, even before I start. But, um, you know, my employer probably wouldn't be too happy with me. But we've talked about a lot of different directions that, that collectible can go in. I mean, we, we want to improve the overall collecting experience. The fractional platform is about access. And so that, I think that's kind of the, the, the theme, access to information, access to the product, access to, you know, to a lot of other things. So that's, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think my, my job is going to morph over time. But to begin with, I think it's going to be uh, mostly about education and collector outreach. Joe Orlando is the new president of Sports at Collectible. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Bram. On the next Future Sport Podcast, we'll delve more into the digital collectibles and that growing marketplace with Jeremy Bourne of NFT Genius, who sees a wide array of monetizable avenues very uh, similar to something you're accustomed to, whether it's an Apple TV or an Amazon or whatever the case may be. We're trying to create experiences that are just easy, frictionless, and allow the masses to come in and purchase NFTs from their favorite brands, athletes, and musicians. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.